And now, your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day when at least there appears to be some progress. Most people would consider it to be progress on uh, the application of the law, equal justice, to the president's son. The president's son is named Hunter Biden. And I say the president's son because... Uh, Jeremy Steiner, Pride of Hillsdale College, just made a profound point is when you say that and you think about it and you think about the kinds of crimes uh, to which uh, the president's son, Hunter, has uh, now been indicted, where he is facing investigations and charges of every kind, it's, it's deeply serious and it's terribly disturbing. And one can understand why President Biden would say, well, I love my son and I forgive him. And But he's said beyond that. He said that he's proud of him. And uh, today, Hunter Biden was indicted in Delaware federal court on three counts tied to the possession of a gun while using narcotics. Uh, this is uh, a very serious matter. And if convicted on all counts on these current indictments, Hunter Biden could theoretically face as much as 25 years in prison and fines of up to $750,000, according to court filings. Uh, is this going to reduce or increase the uh, push for an impeachment investigation? and a push for an impeachment inquiry, which would probably lead to hearings uh, by the House Judiciary Committee and the framing of articles of impeachment against President Biden during these last months. And we're coming into that period, really, because uh, we President Biden will have a year to go once we get to January. And is it possible that most of that time between now and January of 2025, when Joe Biden is still president, that his presidency will be dominated, will be shadowed by this pursuit of impeachment? Yes, that is possible. Is that a, a good thing in any sense? Uh, th there uh, is the story that comes out on CNN this way uh, about the question of uh, impeachment and uh, Hunter Biden and what his future is. Uh, all of this pertains to a remarkable book that we're going to be talking about, which is called The Four Tests, What It Will Take to Keep America Strong and Good. There are, unfortunately, lots of people, according to many, many public opinion surveys, who don't believe that America is strong right now and have really deep questions about whether America is good. How do you deal with those questions? How do you pass the four tests? We'll be talking to Daniel Baer, who uh, has uh, uh, the vice president for policy research at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Uh, does a strong United States foster international peace? Of course it does. 
But uh, we will get to that on the Medved Show. We'll also be talking about a a courageous piece by a very well-known liberal who is going completely against the common talk by liberals uh, pertaining to the importance, the significance, the primacy of marriage. Uh, it's Nick Kristoff, and Nick Kristoff has a piece saying that the big fallacy of liberalism is that marriage doesn't matter when he suggests that it is the main reason that uh, American uh, family relationships and that uh, uh, American behavior has been breaking down. We'll talk about the four tests in relation to marriage as well on the Michael Medved show. Uh, okay, uh, first of all, President Joe Biden's son, it says in CNN, Hunter Biden has been indicted by the special counsel David Weiss in connection with a gun he purchased in 2018. Now, just a word of background on David Weiss. It's true that he has just been appointed special counsel, but he was a U.S. attorney selected by President Trump and assigned by President Trump to do the investigation of Hunter Biden. And after Biden took over, he didn't do anything to call off the investigation of his son, and that is to his credit. Uh, David Weiss continued, but that investigation dragged on for five years, and now finally there are some direct uh, indictments that look like much more serious consequences for Hunter than the sweetheart plea deal that he had agreed to with uh, David Weiss uh, earlier. Uh, the charges include making false statements on a federal firearms form and possession of a firearm as a prohibited person. Why was Hunter Biden a prohibited person? Because he was a drug addict. He said in his memoir that at that period of his time when he bought that gun, he only owned it for 11 days, but when he bought it, he was using cocaine every 15 minutes, he said. It's amazing he survived. It's an extraordinary turn of events, says CNN, after his original plea deal collapsed and potentially sets up a dramatic trial in the middle of his father's 2024 re-election bid. Uh, I don't really believe this will go to trial. I think it's extremely likely that Hunter Biden will strike uh, some kind of plea bargain, plea agreement that doesn't send him to jail for 25 years, but uh, may cost him a great deal of money and, of course, worldwide embarrassment. Court filings show that a summons was issued uh, today for Hunter Biden to appear in court for an initial appearance on the charges, though it is unclear when and where that initial appearance would take place. Hunter Biden's gun-related legal troubles relate to a firearm he purchased in October 2018. That, of course, is a time when his father was out of uh, public office. He was neither president nor vice president. While buying a revolver at a Delaware gun shop, he lied on a federal form when he swore that he was not using and was not addicted to any illegal drugs, even though he was struggling with crack cocaine addiction at the time of the purchase. It's a federal crime to lie on the ATF form or to possess a firearm as a drug user, 
Hunter Biden possessed the gun for about 11 days in 2018. Prosecutors have previously said that the statute of limitations for some of these offenses is set to expire in October, which is why uh, they have filed these indictments now before the statute of limitations runs out. Uh, David Weiss has been leading the Hunter Biden investigation since late 2018. Over the years, his team investigated potential felony tax evasion, illegal foreign lobbying, money laundering, and other matters largely tied to Hunter Biden's overseas business deal. In addition to the gun case, Weiss is still weighing whether to charge Hunter Biden with tax crimes. He said in a court filing last month that a trial is now in order on the tax offenses and that he may bring tax charges possibly in California or Washington, D.C. Those are far more serious and far more likely to connect to President Biden himself. If convicted on all counts, Hunter Biden would theoretically face as much as 25 years in prison and fines of up to $750,000, according to court filings. Uh, The uh, three-count indictment was handed up Thursday by a federal grand jury in Delaware, according to court filings. Uh, This is probably good news for the country that we're moving forward with this. Uh, but uh, is it terrible news for the Biden family? Well, what do you think? Uh, we will be right back with more and reactions uh, on the Michael Medved Show. God help me, I'm addicted to the Michael Medved Show. On the Michael Medved show, uh, part of the complications with the indictments that have been uh, handed up regarding Hunter Biden, the president's son, part of the complications involves uh, one facet of the charges against him, which is the charge of gun possession, uh, because there are appellate courts that have ruled this prohibition as unconstitutional, as violating the Second Amendment. And that hasn't been settled to your law yet. So is it possible that there will be years and years and years of continued legal arguments and uh, lawyer bills and uh, other matters before this, this aspect of the Hunter Biden checkered career can even be settled? Yes, this could be very complicated. Uh, The Hill has a notation that charges related to gun possession by drug users are extremely rare, especially when not in connection with other crimes. In other words, this gun that he had for 11 days uh, was reportedly unloaded, was never even charged of having been used inappropriately. Of all the people sentenced for illegal gun possession in 2021, that's the most recent year that they have figures, 5% were charged due to drug use. That according to the U.S. Sentencing Commission data. A federal appeals court, meanwhile, recently found longstanding uh, bans uh, for drug users didn't stand up to the new standards for gun laws set by the Supreme Court. It is terrific, and it's it's terribly sad. Now, all of this has to do with Hunter Biden's life 
falling apart completely in 2018. 2018 was two years before the year when Joe Biden decided to come out of retirement. He had been vice president and to make a race for the presidency. What is amazing to me is that with this kind of problem, uh, basically plaguing his only son, and, and there's no question that Joe Biden knew about many of the troubles that Hunter was involved with, but that he decided to run for president anyway. Come on, man. Uh, it's 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 problematic. The uh, three charges against Hunter Biden, and then we'll play a reaction by Andy McCarthy and by James Comer, who's been leading one of the investigations by the House Oversight Committee of uh, Hunter Biden and his laptop and the rest of it. Count one accuses Hunter Biden of lying on an ATF form when he bought the gun by falsely swearing that he wasn't addicted to illegal drugs or using illegal drugs. Okay, that's open and shut. Count two accuses Hunter Biden of lying to the federally licensed gun dealer in Wilmington, Delaware, where he bought the gun. The alleged lie was related to the same sworn statement on the ATF form. Uh, that also looks uh, like slam dunk. Count three is the one that's uh, more complicated. It accuses Hunter Biden of illegally possessing the gun while using drugs or being addicted to drugs, which is a federal crime. He possessed the, gra uh, the gun for 11 days back in 2018. The gun possession law Hunter Biden is accused of breaking is already on shaky legal ground after an August ruling by an appeals court covering three th southern states uh, that declared the statute unconstitutional. Wow. Uh, now, of course, Hunter is not accused of crimes in Louisiana, Mississippi, or Texas. Those are the three states where it was declared unconstitutional. But would this have any impact on a case arising in Delaware? Uh, Andy McCarthy, uh, legal expert, friend of this show, a legal expert for National Review, former federal prosecutor says this about the timing of these indictments listen is that this firearms case everything of importance that happened in it happened in delaware mm -hmm. and this case has been open and shut and known for five years and yet here we are at the very precipice of the statute of limitations where he brought this case basically because he got smoked out by a federal judge after he tried to disappear it seven weeks ago. Okay, they're talking about the plea deal. By the way, I think as this case proceeds, that plea deal will not <laughs> look so terrible uh, because something like that, I, it's, it seems to me that in the nature of these things and with a high-priced legal talent, uh, Abby Lowell, that the Bidens have on their side, that uh, there will be some other sort of plea deal and it won't take forever to get there. And also the fact that this is happening before the statute of limitations. Yes, that's appropriate. And uh, James Comer, uh, the congressman from Kentucky, who's chairman of the House Oversight Committee, also made a very solid point 
about why of all the misdeeds and the shady money and the dubious influence peddling and the foreign lobbying and all of the other aspects of Hunter Biden's very checkered, very sleazy career, uh, this one aspect of his wrongdoing has a uniqueness to it that uh, James Comer emphasizes. Listen. That's one of about a dozen crimes that Hunter Biden's committed. And ironically, that's the one crime that he committed that you cannot tie Joe Biden into. So we'll see what happens with the other 11 or so crimes that uh, the president's son's committed. It sounds like you're still expressing the skepticism here. I mean, the idea that you, you, know, you, you wanted an indictment from your perspective here, that's not enough? A an indictment for uh, money laundering, violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, tax evasion, the list goes on and on. Uh, you've never heard me say anything about gun charges. So, uh, again, that's the one crime he's committed that you cannot tie to Joe Biden. Okay, and uh, this would be partially uh, the proceeding on this crime, but not on the others. That's the decision of a prosecutor who was selected by Trump, assigned by Trump when he was still president, to uh, go ahead and, and investigate Hunter Biden, and particularly some of his foreign dealings. Remember, that was part of Trump's own impeachment trial, uh, that he had had the phone call with Zelensky where he asked a foreign leader uh, as a favor to find dirt on Hunter Biden which uh, we now know would be pretty easy to find. Speaking about finding dirt, one of the dirtiest deals in the world is this record in Washington State of spending $1 million per homeless individual to get homeless people off the streets to exit from homelessness. Who bragged about being able to spend all that money? to put 126 homeless people into housing. Jay Inslee, the governor, outgoing governor after three terms. Uh, we will talk about that with Jonathan Cho, who tells the truth about the homeless crisis. We'll be right back on The MedVed Show. Michael Medved show uh, Monday afternoon the governor of the state of Washington uh, now closing out his third term believe it or not I mean third term that's Franklin Roosevelt only lived to serve three terms uh, Jay Inslee is the governor of Washington and uh, the governor took a victory lap as his staff announced taking credit for clearing away the Myers Way encampment in West Seattle. And uh, this is uh, to celebrate the heroic achievement uh, during his governorship of uh, helping 126 people at a cost of a million dollars per person uh, leave the streets uh, uh, for um, homelessness. Um, really, uh, a great achievement. 
A Jonathan show has been looking at homeless issues for a long time, uh, covering those issues as part of the Fix Homelessness Initiative. He is uh, now a senior fellow with Discovery Institute and its Center on Wealth and Poverty. Uh, also one of the lead reporters for many years at Como TV, which is consistently the top-rated TV station in Seattle. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I know that you, your colleague Brandy Cruz helped figure this out. How does it come to, how is it even possible to spend a million dollars per person to get people out of the encampments and off the streets? Um. <laughs> Well, that's a question I point blank asked Governor Jay Inslee uh, Monday afternoon. And if you see that uh, video, uh, he initially tries to dodge my question because uh, I think uh, it just brings up a lot of inconvenient truths. But uh, look, they, they're really focused, again, on housing, permanent housing, and uh, cleanup costs money, outreach costs money, food costs money. And, uh, you know, we did the math using the state's own numbers. Uh, and out of the 126, quote-unquote, successful exits, and that means people who've actually left temporary housing, left the shelters, and are not now considered out of homelessness, it's more than a million dollars a person uh, if you simply add it up by doing basic math. And I wanted to ask the governor that simple question, and uh, he just gave me a whole bunch of spin as far as I'm concerned. Okay, uh, in terms of 126 people, does that represent a significant percentage of the people who live on the streets and parks of Seattle? <laughs> no, Michael, I'm sorry. And I want to be very clear. Uh, that 126 number is only representative of uh, this state right-of-way program. In other words, the homeless living on uh, washed-out properties in Washington State. The uh, problem with that number is, and I think you, you ask any uh, reasonable person, that is an extremely low number for the amount of money being spent on this project because there are still more than 2,000 homeless encampments just on state right-of-ways alone. And according to the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, you have still more than 50,000 homeless people in just King County. So uh, short answer, no. Uh, it's, the response is just not enough. Uh, and and the, more importantly, the success rate. 126 people, that is really small for the amount of money being uh, spent right now. Well, you talk about these numbers. When you're talking about 2,000 encampments, uh, some of those encampments hold hundreds of people, don't they? Yes, yeah, so some of those have in the past, like Camp Hope in Spokane that was cleared earlier this year. But just in Seattle alone, and you know that's where I go day in, day out, there are still hundreds of encampments here in Seattle on washed-out properties, and I've gone into many of them. On average, you've got about 10 to 15 people in each one of these. You do the basic math. I mean, it's going to cost a lot of money if we use this current strategy and plan that the governor is deploying right now to clear these encampments and get people into housing. Okay, now you're talking about uh, spending all of this money. I take it that many of these camps are uh, illegal, that uh, they show violations of the law. Is that true? Michael, these are all technically illegal encampments. Uh, there is a, a camping ban, uh, you know, on, on state right-of-ways and uh, here in Seattle on public 
uh, you know, property like, you know, sidewalks and right of way. So uh, on top of that, uh, we all know now and then the data shows uh, SPD will confirm this, that a lot of these encampments continue to attract crime, open air drug use, sex trafficking. And, and more importantly, in many of these cases, the homeless are the actual victims. So to allow these situations to continue to thrive, look, to Jansley's credit, he'll say on the record that we can't allow these homeless encampments to continue. We've got to get these people into housing. But the problem is he's now trying to ask for millions of more dollars to do this in the next legislative session. And I think any reasonable lawmaker should at the very least be asking now for some type of accountability, more transparency, and an audit to find out where all this money is going, how it's being spent, and especially the agencies behind, uh, you know, the money right now. Uh, we're talking about the housing providers. We're talking about the outreach groups uh, who are responsible for, you know, handling all of this. And is the money really justified? That's a question that has yet to be answered by the governor. Yeah, not, that, not at a million dollars per person. Uh, this is clearly not a, a workable strategy. With a new legislative session, what's the right strategy, briefly? You know, Michael, I, I wish I ha- I wish I could say there's just one answer, but the focus right now needs to be not on housing first, but on recovery first. And that really means, you know, requiring these people in many cases. Eight out of ten people right now living in homelessness or addicted to some form of illegal drugs we got to get them into, you know, detox, into intervention, into a situation where we were able to intervene and get them the help that they need. But the problem with the governor's plan is he's focused more on the housing, which costs millions of dollars, takes time, and it's just not common sense or reasonable to try this strategy or continue with this strategy. we got to get these people into help. And if, if they don't want to get off of these right aways Unfortunately, they're going to have to look at the consequences. And right now, if you actually start enforcing the laws, that means they're going to be spending some time in jail. Well, listen, part of the strategy right now is based on the idea that all you have to do with a mentally ill, drug-addicted individual who can, can barely survive from day to day, all you have to do is get him a nice place to live and everything will be better. Has that been shown to work? Um, I would say in the vast majority of cases, absolutely not. In fact, uh, I've already done stories this year proving otherwise, and I'm working on my next follow-up to the story that I'm planning to launch in the next couple days, which actually follows the path of some of these people who are taken out of this Myers Way encampment, promised housing. Once they get in, they realize it was a bait-and-switch. In other words, the situation is not what they thought it would be. In fact, you've got the homeless now complaining about the housing and facilities they've been given and they're now thinking about going back to the streets where they're going to be able to do all of their drugs and of course not follow the rules of the housing situation so it's just a hot mess right now the governor wants to continue to throw money at the same failed strategy as far as i'm concerned okay we're going to play the exchange between you and governor Inslee in a moment for people who want to follow jonathan cho's work which is as important as any journalistic work out there right now it, it, you can do that on X, the former Twitter. Uh, just go to Cho Show. That's Cho, C-H-O-E, a show. At, uh, at Cho Show to follow the work of Jonathan Cho. And uh, we're, we'll play for you a little bit of what it sounded like 
on uh, Monday when uh, Jonathan met up with Governor Inslee, who after 12 years uh, has, has seen such a prodigious increase in homelessness and public breakdown. How, how will his three terms as governor be remembered? Uh, it's a complicated question, isn't it? Uh, we will get to that and to much more. Jonathan Show, Godspeed and congratulations on your work always. We'll be right back. The Michael And on the Michael Medved show, uh, Jonathan uh, Cho, who we just spoke to, uh, all spoke to Governor Jay Inslee, uh, finishing his third term as governor of the great state of Washington. And uh, he's already, by the way, endorsed his successor, Bob Ferguson, the attorney general, got Jay Inslee's endorsement yesterday. Governor Inslee went out to the site of the Myers Way homeless encampment in Seattle where he did a victory lap about all of the progress he supposedly has made on clearing highway encampments. Now, again, I drive the highways here. I'm I'm not professionally, but uh, I do for professional purposes. And it's true. Uh, there has been some progress. But uh, the idea is long-term progress. How is that actually going to happen? This was an exchange uh, between Jonathan Cho asking a perfectly reasonable question of the governor and listen carefully to the governor's dodge. One, we want to remove these encampments. We are making big progress. And two, we're doing it by getting people into housing and importantly, getting them to deal with their chemical addiction problems and their mental health problems and their vocational challenges. We're going as fast as we can with the money that we have been given. That was substantial. We've appropriated 100, about $135 million so far. We're getting to the end of that. Governor, by your estimation, by your estimation, yeah, you'd spend $135 million on this right-of-way initiative, but the Commerce, the Commerce website says that only 126 exits have happened. How do you justify that price tag? How do you justify that price tag, Governor? Here you guys. I want to answer the question that was just asked. Come here, Come here. I want to tell you something. That last question. How do I justify the fact that we're making an investment to clean up these encampments? I'll tell you how I justify it. These people are working their, their fannies off and they're doing great work and they got families at home and every single one of them like to eat and they like to pay their rent and we need to pay them. And we don't expect them to do it for free. They're hardworking people, but I pay them. And that work is making this a better state. And you're working hard too. This is hard work. You're out in the heat, you're wearing hazmat suits and you're getting the job done and you're helping people. It's not just about removing people from encampment. You're helping people. You're changing people's lives. I know the people. They've told me you've saved their lives. I met a guy down in Vancouver. He said, look, this tiny home village, it saved my life. I was on drugs. It was going to kill me. So you got to be proud of your work. I'm proud of your work. Keep it up. 
and uh, I hope we can keep funding your work. He's talking to a cluster of workers in hazmat suits surrounding him and basically uh, not answering the question of how do you justify taking more and more and more money when it's costing you about a million dollars per person, a little bit more actually, to uh, actually get people relocated and out of the encampments. Uh, Here's what the uh, governor said. uh, This is covered by Como News about the various cleanups. Well, the governor's framing this as a victory because 80% of the people in this encampment went into housing. But the woman who first raised safety concerns about what was going on around the encampment earlier this year says she and her neighbors should not have had to wait this long for action to happen. This is hard work. The work is nowhere near finished at the Myers Way homeless encampment. It takes work, right? The governor praised social workers who moved 30 people from this site into housing. And you're getting the job done and repeated his claim that these freeway encampments are unacceptable. Washington state is closing encampments. It's getting people housed. The state has closed 30 camps through its right-of-way initiative, which Inslee says is now running out of money. Some of these camps have only been shut down after complete chaos, like this explosion at a drug camp outside Harborview Medical Center and this massive fire last month at Mercer Street. Okay, uh, local citizens, how do they feel about the response? Uh, Listen. There was a murder here at Myers Way, and seniors across the street reported hearing frequent gunfire. How do you break the months-long cycle of public safety disaster around these encampments? By doing what we're doing. We're making progress on these things. I know that's stunning sometimes to report, but it's true. But in the meantime, for those seniors who've had to live around this for four or five months. It's a problem. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. The answer is very frustrating. We're working on it. If that was his answer to your question, it's not an adequate answer because it's not a solution. Diane Radishat raised concerns about the camp in the spring. But the process of getting to the table, still major, major problems. She says communities shouldn't have to wait months on end for action. You've been the one sounding the alarm. Today, the governor's here. Are you now satisfied? No, they should have caught here when we first started calling them. Okay, again, it, it is such a frustrating situation, and obviously it's bad in Seattle. It's terrible in Portland. It's worse in L.A. and San Francisco. It's fascinating. Today, there was a piece and a front page of the Seattle Times. And it was measures of the median income, the top cities of the 50 cities for median income. Number one is San Francisco, highest income. They have a gigantic homeless problem. Worse than the country, arguably, along with LA. Uh, Number two was San Jose, California. Uh, Seattle is third in the country in terms of median income. And I guess that's good, but uh, the homelessness has steadily risen across Seattle and King County in the most recent years. During the 2022 point-in-time count, more than 7,600 people were counted living unsheltered across King County and several city governments are under pressure by constituents to do something about the visible rise. So they just moved 30 homeless people from West Seattle. Terrific. That's great. 
But boy, do we have a long way to go. And, and meanwhile, there's attention uh, being paid and serious attention to some of the problems facing downtown, which still hasn't recovered from the uh, impact of the pandemic and uh, various businesses and enterprises moving away from downtown and people working more frequently at home, as we do. Uh, all of this going on, and uh, it, it would honestly be one of the most important things imaginable in terms of our political discourse to pay more attention to this issue than it's getting. Uh, meanwhile, one issue that is getting attention, and it sounds like maybe it's constructive, is uh, there is going to be a meeting between Elon Musk, who has been charged, I think very credibly, with anti-Semitism on multiple occasions, he has agreed to meet with the Prime Minister of Israel. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is expected to fly to the heart of Silicon Valley on Monday, that's right after the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah, to meet with ex-owner Elon Musk in an effort to help ease an escalating crisis over anti-Semitism on uh, the struggling social medium platform. Uh, the meeting is the latest step in a campaign by Musk's Jewish friends and allies and executives of his social media company to stave off the mounting controversy, according to five people familiar with the situation. Uh, this is reported in the Washington Post. Netanyahu is coming to the United States for the annual meeting of the United Nations General Assembly next week. The San Jose trip was added to his agenda at the last minute. The latest crisis one of many in the drama-filled 11 months since Musk bought the company, then known as Twitter. Has it only been 11 months? Doesn't it sound, feel longer than that? Because there have been so many disasters reported with Twitter. This was sparked by a September 4th tweet in which uh, Musk accused, accused a prominent Jewish organization, the Anti-Defamation League, of trying to kill the platform. That would be Twitter X with false accusations of anti-Semitism. Since then, Musk has issued more than a dozen tweets critical of the Anti-Defamation League, saying the 110-year-old human rights organization was largely responsible for a 60% drop in advertising revenue and that he was planning to sue the group. Uh, well, just what the Israeli prime minister needs, facing criminal charges of his own, a very tense, political, divided situation at home. Maybe he'll make some progress in Silicon Valley during his visit to this greatest nation on God's green earth.